I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, tribbles, and things to episode 83 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? Oh, the Muppets and Star Trek. Of course. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the animated series. That's right. And tonight and- we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers and Star Trek Rogers <laughs> and Star Trek, uh, a man animated series episode. One of our planets is missing. That's really the title of the show. <laughs> that is. Yeah. But Steve, tell us about first the guest star of the show for Muppets, uh, Kenny Rogers. Who is this guy? <laughs> Kenny Rogers. Uh, he's an American singer, songwriter and actor. He released more than 120 hit singles, spent more than 200 weeks on top of country and pop charts and sold more than 100 million records over the course of his career. Damn. Uh, he started out as a member of a group called The Scholars, and then went to the New Christie Minstrels, and then f- then another group called First Edition, which was actually a psychedelic rock group. Hmm. Like Kenny, uh, Kenny Rogers was not always in country music. Didn't know that. Um, but it was after uh, his, their, their 1969 hit, Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town, that he transitioned, they transitioned to country, which he transitioned into a solo career. Uh, the Gambler, which became his signature song, came out in 1978. So right here is when he would have been at the very peak of his popularity. Oh, okay. During this, during like, you know, two years after his biggest hit ever. And his most hairy. Oh, yes, yeah, certainly <laughs> his most hairy. Uh, but what's he doing on The Muppet Show this week? Well, Scooter's uncle sold the mineral rights under Kenny's dressing room backstage, causing the backstage to be filled with drilling equipment and racially insensitive Arab people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the show, they do hit a huge oil deposit. The only saving grace of this episode is that they didn't spend too long on this. True. Uh, on stage, Piggy introduces Kenny Rogers uh, because Kermit is in the opening number. It's the daring young frog on the flying trapeze, and Kermit is immediately terribly injured. He spends the rest of the episode injured. Fawzit takes the stage and asks the audience if there's a doctor for Kermit. Zoot then hops out on stage for a little while to stall for time. Uh, Kermit does the next number from a hospital bed. He performs Coconut, joined by a doctor who slowly turns into a witch doctor and some nurses as the room slowly transforms into a jungle. And kind of a more racist representation again. (laughs) The the witch doctor was also pretty questionable, yeah. Uh, up next, we get a Muppet News flash. Hospital beds are being recalled uh, because they're spring-loaded. Kermit is sprung into the air out of the bed and hits the anchor. Nephew Robin goes to the stage and introduces Kenny Rogers. We get Kenny in a train car with three old man puppets, which I think are in contention for creepiest puppets with Baby Benson's Bobby Band. Baby Bobby Benson's Baby Band. Uh, and uh, the Jerry and the Atrix. I think they're right up there with a creepy I'll have bastards. more to say about them later. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he performs The Gambler, his signature song, with the old puppet uh, doing the parts of the old gambler giving advice. Uh, following this, we get Fozzie in a pub leading a rousing song, Knees Up, Mother Brown, and he is joined by a rowdy crowd as well as his mother. 
We then take a visit to Veterinarian's Hospital, where Kermit is on the table. The jokes mostly turn into them just being really mean to Miss Piggy, hmm. and then a light fixture falls on Kermit. We head back to the Muppet News Desk, where those light fixtures have been recalled because they've been dropping, and one again falls on the news anchor. Gonzo comes on stage for his death-defying act. He's loaded into a catapult, but the lever's stuck. Kermit comes out to help, but Kermit and Piggy are inadvertently launched into the balcony with Statler and Waldorf. Kenny Rogers hits the stage, and Kermit begs him to play something not not crazy. He plays Love Lifted Me, uh, and he's eventually joined by kind of a country band and a slew of other Muppets. Kermit thanks Kenny, who reveals that he traded the racially insensitive Arab gentleman singing lessons for gasoline, and that is what we call The Muppet Show. Jarman, what did you think of this episode of The Muppet Show with Kenny Rogers? Well, I think Kenny Rogers was just fine. Um, I knew of him growing up and stuff, and I'm sure you'll talk about references. Uh, well, I mean, he was on Mad TV as a character. They did it many times. As Kenny Rogers on Jackass. <laughs> I'm Kenny Rogers. This is Jackass. Because he was also known for being kind of a lush in his later years and being drunk a lot of the time. Um, but I think he was just fine with the Muppets. He was very engaged with them. Um, but I wish, I wish they did more with him as so many other uh, guest hosts where he just didn't have many. He didn't change costumes. He didn't really get to a character at any point. Um, just didn't really do much at all with them. He did two numbers as himself with very little stage setting. Um I mean, the, 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 I did like the gambler number. That was actually really well done. Um, but he didn't even sing for a good chunk of it. Yeah, because they had the puppet doing the the main part yeah. where he talks. He talks saying he didn't even sing. So I thought it was kind of odd, but it was a cool scene. And it's cool seeing that the guy actually giving him that advice in that famous song. Um, but yeah, this didn't do much with him. And I really liked the backstage plot of Kermit getting injured progressively throughout the episode over and over again. It was kind of funny. Um, yeah. But it was just kind of overshadowed by a couple of racist moments. That was kind of rough. Yeah, man. Um, so it would have been like a solid upper middle episode for me, but they just didn't do enough with Rogers and it had the racist stuff. So it's kind of like, eh, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth kind of thing. I agree. Kenny Rogers was good. He had some genuinely kind of sweet moments with the Muppets. When He's he was a good singer to too, man. Great singing voice. You, He's a great singer. Um, and the two numbers he did were good, but you're right. The rest of the episode was kind of overshadowed by like two fighting backstage plots, mm -hmm. like the like the like the Arabs drilling for oil, and Kermit getting injured. Like they didn't both need to be there, and I don't know why they were both there. And at one point they're like, "Oh, and we're introducing the next number," and I'm like, and then Kenny Rogers is like, "Okay, I hope it goes well." I'm like, "Why aren't you on stage or the guest star? Like, what is going on?" <laughs> um, and honestly, Coconut is always going to have sort of a place in my heart because it was on a mixtape I had as a kid of oh. Muppets. And it is one of the, the one of like sort of the quintessential Muppet show numbers. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Sort of regardless, regardless of the, the, the possible, the racially questionable, uh, like voodoo <laughs> yeah. doctor. Um, it is one of the sort of quintessential numbers. Um, it comes in a weird episode with a with an okay host yeah so yeah this this one i don't think is gonna be bottom i didn't hate it right I didn't but hate i it certainly every part of this episode just fell just a little flat yeah it could have been a lot better but not bad but not bad go in for the game you were fine <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Uh, music this week, The Daring Young Man on the Flying Trapeze. It was published in 1867. The song is actually about a performer called Jules Le Leotard. Uh, Leotard actually went to school for law, passed his law exams, and only then did he take up the trapeze. 
Coconut, written by Harry Nilsson. Uh, during a 1968 press event, the Beatles were asked who their favorite American artist was, and their answer was Harry Nilsson. Wow. The guy who wrote Coconut. Uh, the Gambler, written by Don Schlitz, but of course made famous by Kenny Rogers. Schlitz went on to be a prolific songwriter and producer, providing hits for John Denver, Waylon Jennings, the Judds, and the Oak Ridge Boys, among many, many more. A lot of folksy country numbers. Uh, Knees Up, Mother Brown, a classic pub song from the East End of London. It's been around since the 1800s, and it became the unofficial like theme song for the end of World War One. Oh, in Britain. Interesting. Uh, Love Lifted Me. This is from Kenny's album of the same name, released in 1976. Uh, this was his first solo album under United Artists Records. And the song itself is actually a gospel hymn that was first published in 1912. Wow. Yeah. Old. So, Jaron, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? So, I am notoriously creeped out by the babies and the old people numbers. Um, but Bobby Benson's baby band and Jerry and the Atrix. Yes, yes. go on. Yes, I will go on. But I thought the old men in this one from the gambler sequence was the most impressive to me because I thought they looked cool. They looked interesting and not just creepy and uh, disturbing. They were so disgusting. I loved it. They looked something out of Dark La- dark Crystal or Labyrinth, I thought. Like, they just looked really cool. I just, they I, look like someone forgot to paint the California raisins purple. <laughs> That's what they looked like. And they had human hands and arms coming out. It was, like, cool. Uh, and at the end, one of them had, like, humanoid legs and kind of danced as a ghost. It was somehow good creepy for me instead of bad creepy like normal. Oh, man. So that was my favorite Muppeteering moment. Fair. Uh, I'm going to give it to Coconut, mostly because... The in and out and then switch quick switching out puppets and that was switching impressive. in scenery had to have taken a ton of coordination. Oh, yeah. To put together. I'm also going to give an honorable mention to the oil rig stuff in the dressing room scenes, even though it was part of a weird racist thing. But it was actually really well done in the end. And all was like steam going off and there's all this machinery in that small space. Like it was pretty cool the way they did that. Um, and I do have to mention we don't get to say anything like this, but uh, before we leave yeah. our Muppet section of this podcast, uh. I was at a trivia session this past week, and the question came Ooh. up was, when, what year was the first episode of the Sesame Street show first come on the air? And because of you, Steve, and this show, I thought I knew 1969. it. 1969. Yeah. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's 1969. And they're like, everyone at my table was like, that's way too early. I'm like, no. And you had to get the answer, nope. within, you had to get the answer within three years. And I was like, guys, and they're saying, there's no way it was 69. But like, we'll go 73. That way it covers 70 to 73 and up to 76. And I'm like, okay, but I'm thinking it's 69. And then it was, we got it wrong because we weren't within three years because it was 1969. And I should have just stuck Those my ground. Stooges, well, you should have said, make it 72. I know I should have, but I didn't stand my ground. I wasn't certain. would have felt like they were being smart. Because I knew it was like black and white, I think. And it was 69 and I don't know, but. I Jeremy, stu- this is where this is where you say next time say, it's you say I think it's 69 guys I host a podcast about the Muppet show I should have pulled out that card and when do I get pulled that card ever ever you know like <laughs> guys I am a two-time Peabody award winner. <laughs> listen to everything I have to say <laughs> it was 1969 so help me God <laughs> But we still got second place, so in the trivia for the Knights, so it worked out okay. Would you have gotten first had you gotten that question? It's very possible. Ah, those bastards. We were that close. Tell 
You tell all of them that Steve is very disappointed in that. <laughs> but I also got us the last big question. This is unrelated to Muppet oh. Trek. But it was just put, oh, these, was it? put these Adam Sandler movies in order of when they came out. <laughs> okay. And I, I think helped I'd us get that one right. That. I, I watched all those movies when I was a kid. They were terrible, but I loved them. Oh, man. I feel like I would get that. I think so, too. So their Star Trek Gilmore, episode Billy tonight. Madison. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Our Star Trek episode tonight is uh, one of our planets is missing from the animated series. <laughs> Weird I've name. tolerated a lot of stupid names from <laughs> Star Trek episodes. This one caps it. It's pretty rough. Um, and it's not, I guess it is their planet because the colony, but we'll get into that. So the Enterprise comes across a giant floating cloud in space that seemingly eats a planet right in front of them. And they figure out that it's headed toward another planet called Mantilles, which in the beginning of the episode, I'm pretty sure Kirk says Mantitties, which was making me laugh hysterically. Um <laughs> And it has a Federation colony on it, so they have to try to stop this. So Kirk uh, contacts them, but they will barely have time to evacuate just a fraction of the colonists before this cloud doesn't come over and eat it. So they try to use phasers in the cloud, but it has no effect. And then they are sucked inside the cloud. And they figure out that it has these little antimatter rocks that try to uh, kind of attack things that come into the cloud. They act as teeth, and they break down the materials of what comes in the cloud so it can digest them as matter particles. So... The Enterprise starts to lose power as it's trying to, like, escape these teeth throughout the cloud. But Scotty figures out that if they can transport in some of the antimatter from this cloud, they can repower the ship and get the hell out of there. Um, so Kirk says we have to find the, the cloud's brain or whatever looks like a brain to try to kill this thing before it hits the planet and kills all the, the colonists. So with torpedoes or something. But they figure out that the only self-destructing the ship will have enough power and energy to actually destroy it. But Spock reminds Kirk that it may be a sentient creature, which is, it goes against Federation protocols to just kill it. Uh, so he, he suggests that they try to mind meld with the cloud. So they use the ship's sensors to expand Spock's mind powers, and he talks with the entity. And Spock shows the cloud that it would be killing other life forms if it eats more planets. And this makes the cloud sad, so it agrees to leave the system alone and head back to its place of origin. And that is one of our planets is missing. So, Steve, what do you think of this episode? All right. Some things I liked. Um, I liked that, that this was like the first time where they didn't pretend like the bad thing wasn't going to happen. Where they were like, all right, it's going to eat that planet. We have to get the we have to get the children off. This is how many. And they like talked about real numbers of how many people were going to die. Very specific. Yeah, like that. That was very like, oh, they normally don't get into that. Normally, it's like more of a theoretical everyone dies. Like, this is already bad. Uh, it's going to be bad. <laughs> um, Mr. Rx, what the, who the fuck is this guy? The three-armed guy? The weird. <laughs> yeah, it looks like like E.T. and a scrotum got all messed up together. He takes the place <laughs> of Chekhov because they didn't get Chekhov back for the animated series. <laughs> Man, he's weird. I don't like him. Uh, I liked the idea of harvesting antimatter to fuel the ship, mm -hmm. like using the the bad thing against it was was a, a cute, smart, science thing. thing. Yeah. It was a sciencey thing. Uh, it was things I didn't like. This was so similar to immunity syndrome. Oh, a few other episodes. Yeah. Even even like Spock's the one that has to deal with it through telepathy and shit like that. Mm -hmm. This was all immunity syndrome. <laughs> and even I looked at like the trivia and this and they this isn't mentioned anywhere. And I'm like, I can't be the only person 
Well, the thinks that this is trivia I did find is syndrome. the cloud creature is an amalgamation of the doomsday machine, a huge thing wandering into our galaxy that digests planets. Yep. The immunity syndrome, a huge living thing wandering into our galaxy that drains power from the Enterprise and which the Enterprise enters and obsession, which is a deadly living cloud capable of space travel. So there's a few episodes yep. was very similar to. <laughs> so that, so I felt that I was like, haven't I watched this before? <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I, I really am digging the animated series. And I think part of it is the shorter format. Yeah. I, I feel like the there point. were so many episodes in the original series where you and I reviewed, like it felt like they didn't have enough script. They had to exp- expand. Yeah. And stretch things out too long. Vamp play them off. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but here it feels like it's cut and we, we get beats quickly and in succession. And for me, I felt the same way so far, but this episode actually did feel kind of slow in one note for me, like almost too much techno babble, like because this was a lot more techno babble in this animated series than there was in the original series. Um, That's true. I felt myself kind of drifting at parts because there's only like one thing going on and there's like just a lot of techno babble. I feel like they were they were kind of trying to stretch this one out a little bit. They're giving us a biology lesson. Yeah. And I like that they're detailed, but it's just it was it was a lot. Um and also this other cliche that is that Spock is comes to the rescue with the mind melt at the end of the episode with a deadly creature. Like that's happened on several episodes, different kinds of creatures. And, and I was like, if Spock wasn't there, they'd just be dead multiple times over at this point. <laughs> like what he just mind melts with everything that fixes the problem. It's kind of like getting kind of a cliche in the show. I don't know. Do you happen to notice that too? No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Well, it's like you, you literally gave one member of the crew superpowers. Of course, he's going to be the one to solve That's true. 95% of the problems. <laughs> oh, he's smarter than the doctor, and he's the science officer, and he's the strongest three men, and he has telepathy. The yeah, first of course Mary he's going to fucking solve everything. <laughs> yep. he's, he's, he's like when a bad dungeon master puts an NPC with the group that like just deus ex machinas them every time they're about to get killed. Like the guy who just steps in is like, ah, you foolish mortals, and then wipes up whatever's about to murder them. Not this time. <laughs> well, this will a, be unsatisfying for you. <laughs> this would be like a bottom of the three we've seen so far for me. That I could, that I could agree with. That it's not terrible. It just it was not very unimpressive to me. Like you said, it's a kind of a rehash of things we've seen before. Yeah. Well, trivia oh, for this episode, just a couple things. Uh, some of the shots of Earth in this episode that are shown to Spock on a computer screen as he's melding with the cloud intelligence were taken from stock footage of Lassie's Rescue Rangers, a 1973 filmation TV show <laughs> that had simultaneous in-production. Of course it was filmation. Yeah. And the scenes that came from the Lassie show feature children running with the dog. They just removed for this thing, but they just reused animation that was already done of Earth. Um. Prior to this episode, uh, Robert Wesley, who they announce as the the governor now of Mantilles, this colony they're trying to save, he actually appeared in in live action in the uh, original series episode, The Ultimate Computer. I don't remember him, but apparently he was in that episode. Um, He wore a gold command tunic in that one, but this one he's seen wearing a blue one, but it's supposed to be the same character, which is kind of neat. But he's voiced by... um, James Doohan in this episode, because James Doohan does all the other male voices in the show, basically. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's pretty much it. So what are our Trek Connection Muppet Connections this week, Steve? Oh, man, I got some good ones. Uh, So there was a Star Trek fan film. I'll be interested to see if you've heard of it. The Constar Chronicles. That one I don't think I've heard of. 
it's a series of fan-made Star Trek movies that has quite an online following. And in the second installment, there is a crew member named Ensign Kenny Rogers. <laughs> oh my God, how did you find that? Uh, <laughs> dude, Google, it's crazy. Uh, Kenny Rogers starred in a series of made-for-TV movies called The Gambler. The third installment had uh, called uh, The Gambler, The Legend Continues, had Colm Meany, mm-hmm. who played the role of the Tinkerer, and Colm would go on to play the role of Miles O'Brien in both Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. That's right. Very cool. And both Kenny Rogers and Leonard Nimoy have performed covers of Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town. I'm guessing Kenny Rogers' version is better. <laughs> Most certainly. But I love Leonard Nimoy and his singing. It's it's fun. <laughs> well, they're basically the same artists, just like these were basically the same episode. You're so right. I mean, just like the light fixtures fall from the sky in the Muppet episode because they're defective, the lights disappear from the sky in the Star Trek episode after being eaten by the cloud monster. Nice. <laughs> uh, both feature people eating something that doesn't agree with them. The cloud thing swallowing the Enterprise. <laughs> And Kermit mixing the lime with the coconut. Mm, true facts. Um, Drank them both up. <laughs> call the doctor. Just as you have to know when to fold them in the gambler song, uh, <laughs> Kirk knew when to call it quits one. and fold them when he had to self-destruct the ship. <laughs> okay. Uh, bo- both feature dangerous things descending from the sky. The light fixture on the newsman and the cloud descending upon the planet. <laughs> Accurate. Death from above. Oh, God. What's that noise? Transporter malfunction. <laughs> transporter malfunction. Okay, it's a part of the show where we transport one character from one of the episodes to the other and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? Trek to Muppets this week. I'm going to bring over the cloud and replace the racially insensitive Arab gentleman and have it slowly eat Kenny's dressing room. <laughs> I like that. It's like been made smaller so it can eat the dressing room. Uh, from Trek to Muppets, I have Bones coming over to be the wise old folksy man on the train in the gambler number and then he'll die. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. He'd be so good at that part. He'd be fantastic. Well, you got to know, know when to walk away, Jim. <laughs> Love it. I'm a doctor, not a gambler. Um, Muppets to Trek. I'm going to bring over Gonzo's catapult and replace all the antimatter cannons with Gonzo's catapult. Each one is stuck and they've got to send a crew member over who is launched into the monster. And they all die. Everyone's dead. Uh, Muppets to Trek. I'm going to have Kenny Rogers take over for the gas cloud monster. It's just a giant galactus sized <laughs> Kenny Rogers eating planets and stars while getting drunk and singing songs. See, now now all I can see is because they had that that diagram of the monster up over and over again. Oh, yeah. Where a hey, hey, OK, so we didn't talk about this, but they're like, we went in this hole. There's another hole on the other end. And I'm like, that's its butthole. <laughs> yeah. Like that's. That's where you're going to come out. Uh, but I'm just imagining that diagram, but of like a hairy gentleman standing in profile and it's them in his throat. And the next hole is the butthole. It's Kenny Rogers' butthole. Oh, you heard it here first, folks. Kenny Rogers' butthole on the show. That's right. Uh, she, female Grover Cleveland. What is she, she Grover Cleveland. She Grover Cleveland. Kenny Rogers' butthole. Eight years in the making. Just saying. This is our legacy. 
<laughs> and that brings us to the end of episode 83 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Lola Falana. An original ser- animated series episode, The Lorelei Signal. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.